Tonight, I'm really excited about our study. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Before we get into the study, let's take a moment to greet each other. So if you would say hello to one another on the chat and the comments. If you see someone that you know, uh, be a digital greeter and welcome them uh, to the study uh, tonight. So let's take a moment to greet each other, to say hello. Also, we want to see God use these live streams as much as possible. And so if you would take a moment uh, to go to your device and share this link on your social media to your friends and see who would join us this evening as we uh, study God's word uh, together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to rejoice in you. We ask that you would just take hold of our hearts and our minds that we would receive from you and these truths would go deep into our hearts and our lives. We are suffering loss and we're gonna suffer loss in our lives. And like Paul, may we learn to surrender those losses to you to gain a greater knowledge of you. Jesus, we want to know you. We wanna know you in a deeper way. Father, would you minimize distractions? Would you bind the work of the enemy? And allow this time to be fruitful. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reading in my devotions this morning in 2 Kings chapter 3. And it's an interesting section of scripture. We see the children of Israel being attacked by the Moabites. The kings go to the prophet Elijah to try to ask for God's heart in this situation. The king of Israel and the king of Judah. The kingdom is divided at this time. Elisha calls for a worship leader, for a pastor, and he begins to lead in worship. And God speaks to Elijah and gives this instruction that they're to go to the valley and dig ditches. Now, how is that a good military strategy? Go to the valley and dig ditches. But they listened to the word of the Lord through Elisha, went out and dug ditches. Can you imagine some of these guys going, what's the point of digging these ditches? Then it says the next morning, God suddenly filled the ditches full of water. The Moabites look down and they see the water as blood and they assumed that the kings fought with each other, that Israel and Judah started to kill each other. We've got the victory. They go into the camp and Israel and Judah were able to attack the Moabites and won the victory. God wants us in valleys to dig ditches. Many times in valleys and in difficulties, we want to give up. We want to cash in the chips. We want to simply resign ourselves. But God wants us to press in. He wants us to dig in. As we do that in faith, trusting that he's going to provide the water. The Apostle Paul here explains to us the losses in his life. He was the Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. But when he came to know Christ, those things that were gained to him became lost. And he's willing to suffer loss so that he could gain the knowledge of Christ. In every loss that we go through in life, the different facets of life, it's an opportunity for us to gain a deeper understanding of Jesus if we're willing to. Let's look in verse one of chapter three. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
For me to write this same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul says, finally, and then goes on for two more chapters, just like any good pastor. When a pastor says, in conclusion, what you really should know is buckle up. We still got some work to do. Paul says, finally, but he's got several thoughts to be able to give. And he declares this. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. There's safety in rejoicing in the Lord. Paul says, I'm going to write this to you several times, and it's not tedious to me to remind you of this instruction that you need to rejoice in the Lord. This is the theme of Paul in this letter to the Philippian church. The church of Philippi is joy, joy in the Lord. It's been a few weeks since we've been in this book, this epistle. If you remember chapter one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, putting Jesus first in our lives. Chapter two, others, to be others-centered, to put other people's needs before our own. So Jesus, others, J-O, and then you. We find our own sense of self in chapters three and four, our own sense of what God would want us to view ourselves in chapters three and four, but it comes after putting Jesus first, then others, then ourselves. As parents, we tell our kids some of the same things over and over again because we really want them rooted in those truths. And Paul is that spiritual father. He wants the church rooted in this to rejoice in the Lord. He says it's safe for you to rejoice in the Lord. Why is there safety in rejoicing in the Lord? Because no one can take worship away from you. No one can take you rejoicing in the Lord, finding joy in who he is in relationship of what he's done for you on the cross. No coronavirus, no financial difficulty, no relational difficulty, no health challenge, nothing in this life, no difficulty can take away from finding joy in the Lord. It's interesting in the Greek, this word rejoice, it's an imperative, which means it's a command that demands action. For us to rejoice in the Lord, it's not enough to just know about rejoicing in the Lord. It's not enough to know that we should rejoice in the Lord. But it takes us taking action and choosing to sing to the Lord, choosing to draw near to the Lord, choosing to anchor ourselves in God's promises. It's active, it's not passive for us. If you find yourself in that valley, if you find yourself in that difficulty, rejoice in the Lord. Begin to sing to the Lord. Offer that sacrifice of praise. Even now, as you're listening to this study, is begin to thank God for who he is, that he's your father, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that heaven is real, eternity is real, that every day we get closer to going home to be with the Lord. That in this life there's tribulation, but be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord. And that's where we find safety. If you're longing for safety, you're longing for security, you're longing for that sense of comfort, it's found in your relationship with the Lord as you choose, as we choose to rejoice in him. 
Paul then shares with us what's the enemy to rejoicing in the Lord. In verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Three bewares here. Things to watch out for and look out for. First, dogs, evil workers, and mutilation. Who is Paul talking about? He is talking about the Judaizers, specifically those of the circumcision. They'll come in to a group of believers and say, oh, this is, this is great that you love Jesus. This is great that you trust in the grace of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ. But now you need to come under the law. You need to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, this is going to rob your joy in the Lord. Church, I want you to hear this tonight. If you move away from Christ, which is a grace-filled relationship, and you move towards works of the law that's based upon our own efforts, you're going to lose your joy. Because when we have a rules-based relationship with God, when we're doing well, we're prideful. But when we fall short, which we will, then we fall into condemnation. And Paul here gives a very firm warning against these Judaizers that would come in to these new believers, these Gentile believers, and try to get them under the law, or to distract Jewish believers that are no longer trusting in the law, but they're trusting in Jesus, to say, look, you need to go back to the law. I've seen this happen to so many believers over the years where they get distracted, and they're no longer attracted to Jesus And they're focusing on some system, some works of rules that man has created instead of rejoicing in Christ. So Paul goes down this line of thinking of, well, what if there is life in the law? What if there is life in my my own works? And he gives us his personal experience in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So the Jewish legalists would say, you have to go under the law in order to be right with God. And here, Paul says, this is the true circumcision, is those who worship God in spirit. Is your heart worshiping the Lord? Are you rejoicing in Christ Jesus? Do you have no confidence in the flesh? Then Paul would say, you're the true circumcision. Because circumcision was never just to be an outward act, but it was to be a condition of the heart, a heart that is set apart for the Lord. It's simple, isn't it? Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Worship God in the spirit. Don't have any confidence in your own flesh. And those are the true circumcised. So here's Paul's background. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul says, I could really trust in my own works. This is the things that I did under the law. Circumcised the eighth day. The law did command that Jewish boys would be circumcised on the eighth day. And Paul being part of a committed Jewish family, of course he was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
for you Old Testament buffs, you may know that Saul was the first king of Israel and he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Small tribe in southern Israel. They were known as being fierce warriors, left-handed, with their, with their slings, they were great at being able to, to execute with their, their left hand in, in battle. And here, Paul says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You couldn't find a more committed Jew. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees were a small group that were committed to following the law in a very rigorous way. Even tithing on their herbs, tithing on their, their mint. Can you imagine? Okay, here's my, my mint, here's my herbs, and I've got to make sure that I tithe on that. And Jesus really had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees. You couldn't get more committed to the law than being a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. So Paul was zealous to the point that he was arresting and having Christians killed before he got saved. He saw Christ to be an enemy to the law. But notice here in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul says these things were gain to me. I want to make two points here in verses 7 and 8, and the first is there's loss, and to count the loss as rubbish, to count it as, as rubbish. Try to put yourself in Paul's shoes for just a moment. Here he is, committed to following the law, seeing Jesus as an enemy to the law, persecuting Christians, gets saved, God calls him by name, and as he's in this place, now all of those who once accepted him rejected him. There's a good chance that Paul was married. We don't ever see him reference his wife in his New Testament writings. And his wife could have even left him when Paul got saved. All of his identity was wrapped up in the law. All of his social acceptance, probably his economic security, lost. And he says, I was willing to lose all of these things so that I could gain the knowledge of Christ. He's going to go on in just a moment and say he's willing to lose all things in order to be able to gain Christ. And notice here he says to count it as rubbish, to look at the losses and say the, the losses is just junk compared to knowing who Jesus is. Now this is difficult. I don't know about you, but it's hard to lose things in this life. It's hard to be rejected. It's hard to lose your health. It's hard to lose finances. It's hard to lose fellowship as we walk through this coronavirus. And Paul here, he says, look, I'd spent time thinking about my losses 
And instead of grieving my losses, I calculated and my losses are really just junk compared to knowing who Jesus is. The old King James translates rubbish as dung. That's the idea here is he's saying that this is just dung compared to the gain of knowing who Christ is. This is a section of scripture that I've been working through the last two and a half weeks. As many of you know, I was recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It's genetic and my body's not producing any insulin. And as I was in the hospital and have been meditating the last two and a half weeks or so, it's really easy for me to focus on my losses. By God's grace, I've been healthy my whole life. I've probably been to the doctor just a handful of times in the last 20 years, been on a few antibiotics, really never had any health concerns. And if I'm not careful, I can just find myself grieving the the loss of health and now having to give the insulin shots several times a day. I can grieve the loss of of finances now having this medical uh, condition. I can grieve the loss of, of time. And the Lord really quickly spoke to me through this section of scripture and said, Eric, don't focus on your losses. Don't focus on your losses. Just count them as rubbish Because I know that God is going to use this, this type 1 diabetes in my life, to help me gain a greater knowledge of who Jesus is. If you find yourself in a season of loss through faith, can you dig that ditch and say, I trust that God is going to turn this loss into a gain? That's what Paul's expressing here. This loss of everything in my life As a Jew, when I became a born-again Christian, I know that God's going to use it as gain in my life. Paul lost his health for the sake of Christ. As he's writing this letter, he's in prison. He lost his security. He writes and says that he's homeless, that he's hungry, that he's thirsty. He lost everything in his life, but he says, I'm willing to lose it because of the gain. So that's the loss. Count it as rubbish. Don't focus on the losses. Focus on the gain. And here's the gain. He says, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I want you to think with me for just a moment. How has the knowledge of Christ come into your life in a greater way? Most of the time, it comes through loss. Most of the time, the pathway to knowing Jesus in a greater way is through pain. There's so much power in testimony. Would you share with us right now in the comments and the chat a time in your life when you experienced loss and how over time God used that in your life? Maybe you lost a loved one. You buried a a spouse. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you went through a health challenge, or are going through a, a chronic illness. Take a moment and describe the loss for us in the chat and the comment and how God used it in your life. But we can look back in our lives and go, man, this was this difficulty. This was this loss. This was this heartbreak. But yet, this is how God helped me to know Jesus 
in a greater way. It resulted in the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. You can't put a price tag on knowing Jesus. You can't put a price tag on knowing him in a greater way. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, and it speaks of knowledge by personal experience, that, that deep knowledge where you know that you know that you know you know Christ. How does that happen? How does that take place? It comes through losses. It comes through difficulty. It comes through, God, you're taking this away. I don't understand why you're taking this away. I don't understand why you are allowing this difficulty. But as we journey and we persevere and we keep our eyes on Christ, we go, you know what? That is rubbish. That loss, it is junk. Because I've gained something far more valuable and it's the knowledge of Jesus, to know him in a greater way. Paul continues And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is something that the law could never provide for Paul to be found in Christ. And he says, now I'm found in Christ because I'm not trying to do it on my own works. It's not a system of the law. I'm trusting in the finished work of Christ. Only he could do it for me. And now he's in Christ, and he knows that he's saved, and he's trusting the Lord through faith. I want to remind you, or maybe share with you for the first time, salvation is by grace, through faith. It's what Christ has done and not what we have done. Thankfully, we're not saved by our own works of the law. We'd be lost, destined to hell. The gospel is good news that Jesus died for us, that Jesus rose again, that it's through faith in him and trust in him that we are found in him and we're saved by grace. We get to respond to that free gift by living for Christ, but be assured our salvation is found in Christ alone. Here's Paul's prayer. In the midst of this gain, This is what he's praying for, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The first two are easier to pray. Lord, I want to know you. I want to experience the power of your resurrection. Who doesn't want that? But then to pray, I want to have fellowship in your suffering. I want to experience suffering in my life that's going to allow me to understand your suffering in a greater way. Fellowship means to share in common. He's saying, Jesus, I want to share in common your suffering and be conformed to your death. As Jesus surrendered his life, as Jesus took up his cross, Paul's saying, I want to be conformed to understanding that my life does not belong to me. And I'm willing to surrender my life in the same way that Jesus surrendered his life to death. As we go through losses, if we will turn our hearts in this direction as the Apostle Paul and say, God, would you use this loss in my life to help me to know you, to know you in a greater way? Instead of focusing on the loss, to focus on Jesus, how can I experience you? Losses also 
expose our weakness. As all of us have probably lost certain things because of the COVID virus, it's caused us to be weak and feel weak. But that weakness is an opportunity to know the power of Christ and the power of his resurrection. What's the loss? What's the difficulty? What's the challenge? What's the mental fatigue, the discouragement, the depression that would cause us to say, God, I need to know your power. What is it in your family? What is it in your singleness? Say, I want to know your power, the power of your resurrection, power of God working in our lives. Then to fellowship in his suffering. Think about it this way. As a child growing up, we really don't understand all of the sacrifices our parents make. We're aware of it to some degree. But pretty quickly, when you become a parent, you start to understand all that your parents did for you. Because now you're in fellowship with their suffering. You're in fellowship with their commitment that they went through as a parent. Got it all figured out until you have your own kids. And you're like, oh man, mom and dad did a great job. There's fellowship there now because you've experienced it. So when you experience betrayal, that's an opportunity to know Christ. When you experience a label that you don't deserve, rejection, Christ experienced a label he didn't deserve in a far greater way. Any suffering that we go through is an opportunity to fellowship with Christ in his suffering. Anytime we choose to make sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom, the sake of the gospel, sake of eternity, Paul's life is not comfortable because he's sacrificing for the cause. There's opportunity to be able to fellowship with him in his suffering. Be conformed to his death. In verse 12 we get to our fourth point tonight. It's mindset. The first is there's safety in rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. Loss, count it rubbish. Gain, the knowledge of Christ. And here number four is mindset. Mindset to press on into his purposes. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul understands that he has not arrived, that there's more to know about Jesus. There's more ways that God wants to use the Apostle Paul, that the journey is not over. In our Christian life, don't be lulled to sleep. Don't get to a place where you open up the scriptures and you're like, I've read this before. Don't get to a place where we look inside of our own character and we think, well, there's not that much more growth that could take place. May we never get to that place where we lose the awe of God, where we're willing to look at his majesty and his glory and go, There's so much more to learn and discover about you. If you feel like you've already attained and you've already been perfected, there's not going to be growth in your life. You're not going to press on to what God has for you. To me, this is so exciting and it's so radical and it brings hope to our lives. 
Paul's saying, I want to press on to experience the purpose for which he laid hold of me. So God chose us, he adopted us for a purpose. So we get up every day, even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of the Apostle Paul being in prison and saying, God, what do you have for me today? You've got a purpose in this day. How is it that I can get to know you in a greater way? How is it that I can serve you today? And Paul says, I want to discover those purposes. I want to lay hold of those purposes for which God saved me. Jeremiah 29, 11, a great promise. One of my favorite verses says, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, that of peace and not of evil. First, know this, that God is thinking about you. And his thoughts are of peace and not of evil. So our father's not up in heaven going, I'm really frustrated with you. I'm ready to fry your face off. You stepped out of line. But this ultimate loving father that has thoughts of peace and not of evil towards us. And the scriptures tell us, Psalms 139, that his thoughts towards us are more than the sands of the sea. He's always thinking about you. He's always thinking about me. And he has our well-being in mind. And he says, to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. So God has future for us in this life. He has hope for us in this life. And he has hope for us in eternal life. Does this mean that everything's going to be easy? Does it mean that we're always going to understand why there's difficulty in our lives. No, but we can rest assured, I want to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing on because I want to lay hold of the purpose for which God laid hold of me. If you've given up, I want to speak to you with the love of Christ in the name of Jesus that it's time to get up and it's time to get going. God does not want us to be in a place where we're not pressing on. I know things are difficult and I know things are hard and we can get lethargic in the midst of this challenge and this quarantine, but God wants us pressing on. God wants us to be anticipating that the Lord has things in store for us. Church, we're gonna get to meet again and it's gonna be glorious. There is gonna be a time when we're able to gather together once again and have worship and study the word and be in fellowship, I believe it's gonna be emotional. I believe it's gonna be so impactful when we're all gathered together. But it's just a small foretaste of what it's gonna be like when we get to heaven and we're gathered together with all believers of all time. And Paul chooses to say, I'm gonna press on. He chooses to say, I'm gonna look for what God has. If God continues to give us life here on this planet, then he's got a purpose for it. He's got a reason for it. In verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. Could you boil down just one thing that's a priority for you to do. Paul says there's one thing, this, this one thing. Imagine if the apostle Paul came over to your house tonight for some coffee 
and he's kicking it with you and sharing his heart. And he, he says, look, this is the one thing I do. This, this is it right here. One thing that I do, I forget those things that are behind and I'm reaching forward to those things that are ahead. Looking back can be a real grave. Looking back can paralyze us like nothing else. We do it in several ways. We look back with regret. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I wouldn't have said this. And it gets us to a place where we're wallowing in misery. But maybe even something that's more dangerous about the past is we look back with pleasure. And we go, oh, the, back there, that was the good old days. Before this happened, that's when I really had life. But now I've experienced this setback. But now I've experienced this loss. And we're, in our hearts and our minds, we're living the glory days of five years ago or 10, 10 years ago. God is a God of the present that's always moving forward. God doesn't live in the past. The past is past. And Paul chooses to say, I'm going to forget the past. I'm sure that Paul could have thought back on his past where he persecuted Christians and it would paralyze him. I did that to Christians. He could have thought back on all of the family members that now don't want anything to do with him. Maybe a spouse who's left him because of his commitment to Christ and he could have just shattered. He could have been completely destroyed. But he says, I'm gonna forget the past. I'm not gonna look back. I'm gonna choose to reach forward. The word reach, it means to strain. The idea is it's not easy. It's not easy for the apostle Paul to move forward. There's parts of him that just want to wallow in despair in the midst of this prison. But he says, I'm going to strain. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to fight. I'm going to rely on the power of the spirit, the power of the resurrection. And I'm going to try to discover the purpose for which God has in this particular day. But you see that in the Apostle Paul. He's straining forward. He's pushing forward. He's pressing on through God's power and God's might to where at the end of his life, he was able to say and declare, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. If you've been living in this manner, keep going, keep straining, keep pressing on. If it, it is that place of defeat, don't beat yourself up, but choose to let go of the past. Choose to forget the past. Some of you are wrestling in your own heart and you're saying, I can't let go of the past. If you continue to dwell on the past, you'll never experience what God has for you in the future. You can't change it. You learn from it, you let it go, you move on, forget the past and strain for what lies ahead. Paul says, this is the one thing. This is the one thing that I make sure that I do is to forget the past and to press forward. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the prize? The prize is going home to be with the Lord. The prize is God calling us home one day. The prize is the rapture of the church. Maybe God will take us up like he did with Enoch, the way he did with Elijah. 
But the prize is finishing. The prize is being in God's presence and forever being with the Lord. And Paul says, I'm pressing towards that goal for the prize of the upward call. Here's the challenge in verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. It's a mindset. You've got to think this way. Paul mentions the mind over and over in the book of Philippians. My pastor, growing up, I love the way that he would put this. He says, if you change your mind, God will change your heart. But if you don't change your mind, God won't change your heart. We're responsible for our thoughts. And Paul says the mindset of maturity is to forget the past and to press forward to the things that are ahead. This is where the Lord would have us. He would have us in this place of of really stopping and contemplating, what are my thoughts? Are my thoughts one of forgetting the past and pressing forward to the things that lie ahead? Or am I in a place of allowing my thoughts to bring absolute defeat? And we're told here that if you think anything otherwise, God will reveal this to you. So what is God declaring to you about your thoughts? What is he revealing to you? Is he challenging us tonight and saying, hey, Eric, your thoughts are one where you're dwelling in the past. You need to dwell on what I have for you in the future. Take a moment and think about, for just a minute, what's the pattern of my thoughts? We all have the rut of the brain. And in my brain, what's the rut that I'm thinking? And is it time to allow God to change my mind, to choose to think differently, to take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? He'll reveal it to us if we have any other mindset. In verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Don't slack off. Don't slack off. The Lord has brought about victory in your life and spiritual disciplines. Stick with those things. Stay close to Christ. So here's a few questions for you. Are you looking for safety? Do you find yourself in the midst of these challenges the first week of May saying, man, I really want safety. I really want security. Have you noticed the emphasis on the word safe? Safer at home. Be safe. There's a real emphasis on safety right now because We're concerned about our safety. The ultimate security, the ultimate safety is found in rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in who he is, the unchanging God, the loving Father. Remember, it's a a command. It's an action. Sing to him. Be thankful. Give him the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips, God, you're good. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for eternity. Losses, losses, losses. Losses are painful. Losses are confusing. 
Losses are overwhelming. Calculate the losses in comparison to the gain. They're rubbish. They're junk. Yeah, I've lost this. I've lost that. But I've gained the knowledge of Christ. Remember, in every loss is the opportunity to gain the knowledge of Christ. The gain, the gain, the gain, the gain is to press into Jesus, to know him in a greater way, the fellowship of his sufferings. And then the mindset, the mindset that God has for us is to press into his purposes. See what God has for you tonight. See what God has for you tomorrow morning. Take it one day at a time and get up and say, God, I'm gonna press into your purposes. I don't have this all figured out by any means, church. Appreciate your prayers and your continued prayers. One of the things that I have experienced through my life as a pastor is many times God has me teaching right where he is challenging me. I don't think that this is a coincidence that this is one of my first teachings coming back after the hospital. I was really looking forward tonight to teaching this because God has been speaking this into my life. And it's not always easy. As we know these things in our heads, it's another thing to apply them in our hearts and see our losses through the eyes of faith. Saying, okay, Lord, there's a loss here. But man, it's rubbish compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. So would you pray with me? Father, we're asking that you would connect the distance between our head and our heart. We understand the truth that what appears to be a loss to us is a gain in your economy because we're going to know you in a greater way. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ tonight that are experiencing loss loss of jobs, loss of finances, loss of health, loss of relationships, loss of the ability to go from place to place like we're so used to doing. Jesus, would you be gracious in those losses to allow us to know you, to know you in a greater way, to where at the end of our lives we would say, it was worth it. That loss was worth it what I gained in understanding and who Jesus is. Father, I pray for those tonight that are discouraged and despondent and don't feel like pressing on, that are in the bondage of the past, that you, Holy Spirit, right now would just come and minister to their hearts. Would you wait on the Lord with me and just enter into prayer. For those of you that are at that place where you're saying, I am stuck in the past. I am in a place where I'm in bondage to either good times in the past or failures in, in the past. Right now, would you reach out? We have a ministry team that's a, available. We desire for this service to be interactive. Pastors are ready to minister to you and go to the comments go to the chats and say would you pray with me I'm, 
I'm stuck in the past or I've experienced this great loss and I'm having a hard time moving forward and there's, there's power in prayer. God wants to lift off that burden of the past. God wants to, to lift off that loss and let you know that he, he is with you. God wants to fill your heart with hope. There's a future, there's a hope, there's good things that the Lord has in store. So respond. For those of you watching where you don't know Christ as your Savior and you've been trying to be a good person, you, you know there's a God and you're trying to measure up, but yet you fail and you're a sinner just like me, just like all of us, and you want to receive grace. How hard do you think it was for Paul to receive grace? He was an overachiever. He was a type A. He had pride in his works. And maybe it's hard for you to admit that you're a sinner and you need a savior. I got to tell you, there's a better way to live and it's through grace. That Jesus died for you, that he rose again. And as you turn from sin and trust him, Jesus saved me, be the Lord of my life. He's going to save you and lift off the weight of sin. If you'd like to receive Christ as your savior, go to the comments, go to the chats, let us know right now. I'd like to receive Christ. We're going to reach out to you one-on-one and give you an opportunity to receive Christ, get some new believers material in your hands. I know that it's a difficult time, but it's not a hopeless time. Christ has great things in store. And until he returns, he's got a job for us to do. So let's press in to the purposes that he has for us.